You're listening to the Catholic Fragments Podcast, where we explore the treasures of Catholicism, the fullness of truth revealed in Jesus Christ and His Church. I'm your host, Dr. Donald Wallenfang, and I invite you to join me in gathering up the fragments of the truth that sets us free. Pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A reading from the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 14. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. The words that I speak to you I do not speak on my own. The Father who dwells in me is doing his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me or else believe because of the works themselves. Amen, amen, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do, and will do greater ones than these, because I am going to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything of me in my name, I will do it. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. John Henry Newman, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. What a great pleasure to welcome you once again to a new episode of the Catholic Fragments podcast. This episode features a few fragments from St. John Henry Newman's sermons, as well as some of his spiritual writings. I'm taking these fragments from a book called The Heart of Newman, a synthesis of Newman's writings arranged by Jesuit scholar Eric Shavara. This book was published in the year 2010 by Ignatius Press. The fragments I'm looking at are on pages 218 and 219. St. John Henry Newman lived from 1801 to 1890. He is a well-known English convert to the Catholic Church. He had a deep conversion when he was 15 years old to evangelical Christianity. And this is a kind of English Anglican Christianity that's influenced by Calvinism. But later he would have a conversion again at the age of 44 to the Catholic Church. As we heard in the opening prayer about Jesus telling us that we, in following him, can do the works that he does, and even that we might do greater ones than these. The Greek here is mesonna, Tuton poiese, mezo, similar to mega, doing great works in the Lord. This may be something that you struggle with, similar to myself, wanting to do great things, sometimes having aspirations of wanting to be great. Where is this all coming from? I believe that we find our greatest purpose when we seek the will of God the Father and allow Him to be at work through us. There's no greater thing than this, because this is all about the greatest love. 
We can have a lot of struggles in life concerning our dreams, our expectations we have on ourselves, pressures we put on ourselves to achieve certain goals, accomplish certain tasks. And we're often left frustrated that we fall short of the greatness toward which we aspire. But I want to suggest that we confuse this meaning of greatness so often when we strive after it. We often interpret greatness in very worldly terms, secular terms, in terms of having lots of money, being famous, accumulating a lot of content through productivity, being recognized, being honored, being held in high esteem by other people and as many other people as possible. All of these kind of things. In the fragments we're going to look at today from St. John Henry Newman, he helps us to interpret the words of Jesus accurately. Instead of misunderstanding what Jesus means as being great according to the criteria of this world, even the criteria of Satan that have to do with this lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, material goods, riches, wealth, a kind of worldly magnanimity, pursuing pleasure, having all of the enjoyments ready at hand, food and drink and travel, seeing all the sights, taking in every new adventure. And this pride of life, this self-assertion, wanting to be better than other people, wanting to dominate other people. St. Augustine called it the libido dominandi, the lust for domination. Wanting to be known to be center stage, to have one's name in lights, all these kind of things. St. John Henry Newman, as were so many of the saints, were not about these things. It's very interesting looking back on Newman's education, though today he's known as a great scholar and a polymath, knew a lot about a lot of things by the end of his life. But when he graduated with his bachelor's degree, he was ranked, quote-unquote, under the line having lower second-class honors in the classics, and even having failed classification in the mathematical papers. He broke down in a final examination, graduated under the line. It reminds me of another saint, John Vianney, who was dismissed from seminary at first, was no good in Latin, and not seeming to be the brightest student. St. John Henry Newman shows us in his own life the power of conversion, the power of God at work within him. This double conversion, first again at the age of 15, to evangelical Christianity, that Calvinist-influenced English Christianity, but then later has another conversion to the enhancement of the Anglican faith, part of the Oxford movement that was all about returning to the Church of England, Catholic beliefs and liturgical practices from before the time of the English Reformation. And then at the age of 44, Newman converts to Catholicism, a later conversion in life. He was already an Anglican priest, would then be ordained a Catholic priest, and would serve greatly in the Church because God was at work greatly in him. So these fragments I'm going to feature today, again from Newman's sermons and spiritual writings, are very powerful. When I read St. John Henry Newman, I'm struck by his noble simplicity, 
his attentiveness to the ordinary and all the subtle ways God is at work in us, in the world. So remarkable how he puts things. So let's dive into this first fragment. He writes, God has created me to do him some definite service. He has committed some work to me, which he has not committed to another. I have my mission. I never may know it in this life, but I shall be told it in the next. Okay, I'll stop right there. This is incredible to me. I want to confess I agonize on a daily basis knowing what is my mission in full. And at this point in my life, also age 44, the same age Newman was when he converted to Catholicism, in a kind of lingering midlife crisis of sorts, I ask God, Lord, what do you want me to do now? What do you want me to do here on out? I agonize. Life is so short, time flies by, but I feel compelled to do so much, so much different work for your glory, Lord. What do you want me to do? But it, the saints seem to show us that when we're serious about following Christ, sometimes it's not entirely clear what God wants us to do in every way, but it is revealed gradually, like Abraham and Sarah en route to an unknown promised land. But it's enough to know that I have my mission. And I might not even know in this life fully what it means, what it has been. Perhaps the work I'm doing is more so for the generation to come and the generation after that. I don't know. I'm not sure. But what's important, Newman is pointing us to, is that each of us has a mission assigned by God. It's entirely unique, priceless, beautiful, special your mission. Often when we strive for greatness, we overlook the gift of our own particular mission ordained by God in advance. And we're discontent. We say, but look at that person over there and, and this one over here that they're doing all these great things. What about me? And we feel resentful or downtrodden, sad, depressed, because in comparison to someone else, we feel like God isn't working through me very much or something like this. But no, God is working through you. Newman goes on to say, I have a part in a great work. I am a link in a chain, a bond of connection between persons. He has not created me for naught. That is for nothing. I shall do good. I shall do his work. I shall be an angel of peace, a preacher of truth in my own place. While not intending it, if I do but keep his commandments and serve him in my calling. Mm. So good. It begins with a call from God on your life, on my life. And all together we're part of this chain, this social chain, a great bond of connection between us, between persons. He brings us back to the heart of our common vocation to obey, to live in obedience to the commandments of God and to serve him in our calling. It has to be all about God, not about ourselves, not about any kind of worldly legacy. He says further, therefore I will trust in him. Whatever, wherever I am, I can never be thrown away. If I am in sickness, my sickness may serve him. In perplexity, my perplexity may serve him. If I am in sorrow, my sorrow may serve him. My sickness or perplexity or sorrow 
may be necessary causes of some great end, which is quite beyond us. Wow. Do we ever think of this when we're in the midst of some great trial? It's hard to think of this. But he said, it could be that what we're going through is part of some greater purpose, some greater end, which is beyond our immediate understanding. We have to trust, he says, that God does nothing in vain. He may prolong my life. He may shorten it. He knows what he is about. He may take away my friends. He may throw me among strangers. He may make me feel desolate, make my spirits sink, hide the future from me. Still, he knows what he is about. And the fragment ends that Shavara gives us here in this section. Wow, I'm just so encouraged by these words. I hope you are as well. Because we can have these bad days. We can feel pretty desolate. Our spirits sink. We have no idea what the future holds. But again, he's saying to us, it's enough to know who holds the future, that God knows what he is about. That's enough for us to trust in him. Let's go on to the second fragment here, following along these lines, same kind of theme. Newman writes, Nothing is more certain in matter of fact than that some men, male or female, do feel themselves called to high duties and works to which others are not called. Do you have this sense in your life that you're called to something big, something great? Dr. Seuss, the famous uh, children's author, I say famous, well-known as books are in wide circulation. Dr. Seuss has the book, Oh, the Places You'll Go. A lot of young people are given this book to them as a gift when they graduate high school or something. It seems to be a common aspiration of us human beings. We want to shine. Even Nelson Mandela said this, we're all meant to shine. Plain small doesn't serve God in this world. But we must be bold. We must be out there. We, we must let it all hang out as the saying goes. As I tell my own children and what they're doing, whether it's music or sports or creativity, technology, whatever they're involved in, leave it all out. Don't hold anything back. Give everything you have to give. All of us seem to sense something like this. But Newman is really specifying that some people feel called to high duties and works, even in the things of God. He says further on, Why this is we do not know, whether it be that those who are not called forfeit the call from having failed in former trials, or have been called and have not followed, or that though God gives baptismal grace to all, yet he really does call some men by his free grace to higher things than others. But so it is. This man sees sights, which that man does not see, has a larger faith, a more ardent love, and a more spiritual understanding. No one has any leave to take another's lower standard of holiness for his own. It is nothing to us what others are. That's an important line. We hear St. Paul saying similar things in Scripture. It is nothing to me what others are or what others even judge me to be. 
Newman says, if God causes to greater renunciation of the world and exacts a sacrifice of our hopes and fears, this is our gain. This is a mark of his love for us. This is a thing to be rejoiced in. Such thoughts, when properly entertained, have no tendency to puff us up. For if the prospect is noble, yet the risk is more fearful. While we pursue high excellence, we walk among precipices, and a fall is easy. Hence the apostle says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God that worketh in you. Again, the more men aim at high things, the more sensitive perception they have of their own shortcomings. And this again is adapted to humble them especially. We need not fear spiritual pride then in following Christ's call if we follow it as men in earnest. Earnestness has no time to compare itself with the state of other men. Earnestness has too vivid a feeling of its own infirmities to be elated at itself. Earnestness is simply set on doing God's will. It simply says, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Lord, what wilt thou have me do? Oh, that we had more of this spirit, he says. That simple question to God, what would you have me do? Oh, that we could take that simple view of things as to feel that the one thing which lies before us is to please God. What gain is it to please the world, to please the great, nay, even to please those whom we love compared with this? What gain is it to be applauded, admired, courted, followed compared with this one aim of not being disobedient to a heavenly vision? What can this world offer comparable with that insight into spiritual things, that keen faith, that heavenly peace, that high sanctity, that everlasting righteousness, that hope of glory, which they have who in sincerity love and follow our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Powerful, powerful text right here. I love how he talks about this earnestness. Being earnest for the things of God, simply set on doing God's will, everything else falls into place. We don't have to be obsessed about how many likes on this most recent post on social media. Who's noticing? There's something beautifully hidden about doing the will of God. There's something incredibly and magnificently modest of doing the will of God in secret, in silence, quietly, in a hidden place. St. John Henry Newman was this kind of saint. He just went about doing the will of God consistently, yet quietly and humbly, and trusted that everything else would fall into place in his life, in the people he hoped to influence within the church. And we look back and say, he's a great saint. Look what God did through him. Again, that's the key. Look what God did through him because he simply surrendered. We know this by all the testimonies surrounding his life, his own writings. He surrendered. He simply surrendered to God and God did great things through him. Great things according to the standard of divine greatness that is revealed precisely in humility and forgottenness 
in the experience of abandonment. This is Jesus, the Son of God, become man to save us from our sins. And he does this work quietly, without much fanfare. And even when the fanfare starts up, Jesus says, keep this on the down low. It's not about the fanfare. It's about faithfulness. Thank you for joining me on the Catholic Fragments podcast, where you are equipped to think toward the whole, to pray from the heart, and to live as a witness 